This is the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people to hear what they have to say about problems we face as a society. We're talking today with Dr. Carmen Parker. She's an assistant professor of psychiatry at Yale University School of Medicine, and she will be joining us here in a few minutes. The conversation today is about insensitivity when teaching about slavery and the lack of black teachers in the school system. And um, as has been the case recently here, um, the focus of my Monday podcast was the focus of my Sunday column, which appeared in Hearst, Connecticut newspapers statewide. If you've been keeping up with the news, you know that Carmen's 10-year-old daughter was cast as a slave, along with another black child in a read-along class play. Um, It was called uh, A Triangle of Trade, and the purpose was to give students a look at the atrocities of the slave trade, which is a good thing. Um, This was done at Westwood Elementary School, and, you know, let's face it, folks, slavery happened. It's a part of history. It's got to be taught. You know, but how that history is told and how it is taught is what worries Carmen. She is black and her husband is white, therefore their daughter is biracial. And she called out the teacher and the school for that matter. She called them both out for what she considered a culturally insensitive um, production. And, you know, these days, anything that has to do with race, you know, any story that has to do with race goes national. And this has attracted media um, throughout the United States and even outside the United States. So this is really seen as an important issue. You know, the school board issued the obligatory statement. You know, we've all heard it before. We're so concerned. You know, this is a priority. You know, the the usual spin, you know. But, you know, know, I have to be frank. It really burns me up. You know, because, you know, this message that educators sends, um, you know, it just seems to insinuate that there are no black teachers good enough to teach in Connecticut. You know, truthfully, that lie is just, you know, it's just getting old. We need black teachers, period. You go out, you hire, you, you know, you advertise for them, you recruit them, you sit down, you interview them, you hire them. Done. Case over. You know, I asked Carmen uh, about this and whether being in a mixed race marriage and having a biracial child is, you know, is what caused her to take on the school system. Yes and no. On one hand, yes, because when I was trying to settle this quietly, very quietly, because I I have a life beyond everything that's been happening in the last two weeks. When I reached out to the teacher initially as my child's parent, but no title dropping, no name dropping, just a concerned black parent, the play was justified to me and the educator appointment that my child would come home and say it so negatively okay and then my child comes home that day and says the teacher canceled it because she said a parent complained and my daughter had already been chatting with her friends her friends knew it was me and they bullied her so at the beginning I was like hmm all right well Maybe my husband, my very white husband, maybe they can understand white to white. So how does being biracial play into it? 
kind of like Obama. Obama is heralded as the first black president, even though technically he's biracial. But what this says is if you got a drop, you got it all. You're just treated as black. It doesn't. It, I haven't seen being biracial as any significant sway, even when I tried to capitalize on the white perception of her father and input. So let me ask you, has Dan Levy uh, or Levy, I'm not sure how he pronounces his last Levy. name. Levy. Levy or uh, the State Board of Education contacted you about this matter? Um, well, so Levy has never apologized. The teacher never apologized. I spoke to them on Monday. They called me after uh, the story had gone national for the first time together and said, hey, let's talk. And quote, learn and grow. Learn and grow is the, the tagline that I've heard from multiple people. And so, um, not genuine because I've heard it so many times. So, I was pursuing them all of last week, starting Monday. But this was after I'd already notified them that this was going national. They reached out to me on Monday afternoon, shortly before after the Washington Post reporter reached out to them. And then they want to use the tagline of learn and grow. And board members did reach out to me last week. Um, I've been very public at Dr. Vino and Mr. Melillo, Director of Social Studies and Assistant Superintendent, were the first and only before this case went international to apologize. They were the only people in this entire system to step up to the plate and say, Dr. Parker, we're so sorry. This never should have happened. I am so sorry that any child in our system had to be put in this situation. What concerns you the most about what the uh, teacher was doing? What concerns me the most, and part of the reason I'm saying, I've been saying over the last few days is that it's no longer about the play, it concerned me that the system failed to support her to, in the education system because all of Connecticut-born and educated teachers in primary school who have this indoctrination grow up to be Connecticut educators themselves oftentimes. I don't know the background of this particular educator, but this is to say children who receive misinformation grow up to be adults who have misinformation. So the play shows profound cultural insensitivity and I always use the example you would never have a child playing Gustavo looking at imprisoned Jew number two saying hop on in the train it just wouldn't happen yet for African-American ancestors this is what we get so what concerns me most about her it's not even about her it, it's, it's just it's a complete absolute failure of an entire system she's just a star example and do you I, i'm assuming that you don't think this teacher did this maliciously that she was actually trying to put together a program that would help um kids um learn or understand a situation or do you think that it was merely something she thought up and thought would be a good idea it gets tougher the longer this nonsense goes on so even yesterday, before I read the Board of Education's attempt to say this play never was, quote, read, 
I would have said I believe in everyone's good intentions, the educator included. But even with an international eye on this case, attempting to race bait the populace of this school who is having the same cultural insensitivity demonstrated in their educator to intentionally race bait by saying this play never happened. That might be the only statement they ever read. So that's, that is intentional. So I can't even speak for the good intentions of the educator anymore. I don't know if she told them that. I don't know who thought this was a good idea to try to erase this entirely. But that does show intent. Nothing yet from the educator originally I thought was intentional. But the, the post actively on their website saying this play was never read, that's, that's malicious. So, in other words, they have put out a statement that this play was never read in class by students, and yet we know that correct. Not, and yet we know that is not to be the case. So, absolutely you, correct. You have called for more black teachers in the school system. Do mm-hmm. you do you think, with more black teachers in the school system, that this type of thing would not have happened? Mm-hmm. Or to the full severity, no, it wouldn't have happened. But what was the follow up to your question? How do you go about teaching kids about slavery? Because it is a very difficult subject and it is a very emotional subject and it really tells mm-hmm. a very brutal tale. So how do you how do you tell that story in modern times? I think having an example that drives it closer to home, both culturally and in time, is important, which is why the most effective example I've come across to help explain why this is so bad is using the Holocaust. Monday was the National Holocaust Remembrance Day. We still have Holocaust survivors that were revered within their family, within their community, within the world. The Holocaust was 75 years ago. Slavery was 150 plus. So who's to say with this mentality that time, distance, culture, distance, that we don't begin to show the same irreverence to the Holocaust in another 75 years? So how do you teach it? You try to make it relevant to the individual. You try to make these people humans. You try to show mistakes, how they justified it with X, Y, Z means. It's hard for a child to comprehend, particularly a biracial child who has as many black role models as white role models caught up in all of this. But you make sure that you teach the humanity of it. And, and by that- It doesn't matter to me. I mean, yes, having black educators, particularly in a school like Westwood, that I was told, I haven't confirmed, but is almost completely a white teaching force. I I don't believe it takes a black educator to teach humanity, to teach respect, to teach love, to teach right and wrong, particularly if there's oversight. But role models is a huge influence as well. I don't want to tap into this, this nature I've heard from the administration almost 
we can't do better. We're not diverse in our teaching force. I don't want to give any breath of life to that notion. They, they can do better while they're still not diverse. But diversity helps in the aspect that these children will have a black role model. And that is huge. These educators will have a fear. You're listening to Real Talk, Real People, the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people. What would you like to see done? Ooh, again, that, unfortunately, you're catching me on the day where my spirit mourns for Hamden leaders in an age of 2020 who are still using tactics of trying to erase the wrongdoing as opposed to stepping up to the challenge of growing from the wrongdoing. My heart's very heavy. It's it's hurt for people who don't even know they don't know and at this point are willfully trying to not know to save face. That hurts me as an individual who has dedicated my life to viewing all races equally but respecting everyone equally. So I don't even know what I want is, is the ones who need to learn and grow using their terminology are trying to use their power to avoid it. But you can't learn and grow unless you have the diversity there to help you learn and grow. Um, If you do have a situation where you have, you know, practically all white teachers, that is a problem in an urban environment where you have a large Mm -hmm. populace of minorities. So my standpoint, um, I have heard this excuse that, my you know hiring black teachers is a priority it has been something that i have heard since i was a kid <laughs> that we need to get more black teachers in the classrooms right exactly at mm-hmm. at this point you know i'm you know the you know for me this is a tall tale that they're spinning because this isn't very difficult precisely you, you need black precisely. teachers it means you go out and you recruit black teachers and you know, I keep hearing about these standards that Connecticut has for teachers and these high, tough standards don't seem to be producing a good product. So, you know, my question to them is, what are we going to do to turn this whole situation around where, you know, we don't have this kind of problem in the classroom? Because I see this kind of problem really as pitting race against race because there's no reason for this. This is their mentality because I've seen it deeply. They're using the long-term goal as an excuse for reprehensible behavior today. I agree 100%. It does not make sense. You know, I do want to point out that Connecticut is doing some things. They've passed some legislation and there are some um, new programs in the pipeline that presumably will make it easier to attract black candidates. So we'll, you know, we'll see where that goes. But to me, folks, you know, I have to just tell you, it's all politics. And, you know, we've been through it before. There's a controversy right now. So the spin is on. So, you know, I just want to wait and see what happens once that spin has played itself out. 
But meanwhile, Carmen does have some ideas. She says we should turn our attention to the high schools and talk to the seniors there and offer uh, these students some real incentives to become teachers. Well, if we even gave them five years, let's, you know, this idea is occurring to me right now talking to you. I want to see a campaign to hand in seniors right here and right now. A five-year plan. What can we do to get you in the classroom? That is something they could start within a month, a campaign to reach out to the homegrown little, little baby ticky teachers. That sounds like a good, workable idea to me. I don't know about to you, but to me, it sounds like it's workable. You know, I want to thank Carmen for being my guest today. It was an early interview, and we both started it off fumbling with our first cups of um, morning coffee and trying to wake up our brains to talk about this uh, very, very uh, sensitive situation and one that really doesn't, you know, that has um, the spirits of um, Carmen um, really down. Hopefully, you will have a good day, and uh, keep drinking that coffee, maybe, to perk you up a little bit. (laughs) You get a cup, too, my friend. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real People. If you would like to be on the show, have a comment about the show, or perhaps you have an idea that the show should explore, give us a call at 203-605-1859, or email us at realtalkrealpeoplect at gmail.com. And remember, start your Sunday with my column in Hearst, Connecticut newspaper statewide and start your Mondays right here at Real Talk, Real People. Have a good week, folks. We'll talk again next week.